About 80 years ago, there was a place so isolated from the outside world, the people who lived there had never seen a wheel, looked in a mirror, or held a metal object. Then, explorers discovered this secluded location, nestled in the remote central highlands of Papua, or Western New Guinea. It was home to a Stone Age tribe that practiced cannibalism and had worshipped spirits for centuries. After World War II ended, CNMA pioneers began plans to bring the gospel to these people whom time had forgotten. This is that story, and it's all been captured on never-before-seen 16mm film. In 1938, famed explorer Richard Archbold was the first Westerner to discover the Baleem Valley, what missionaries would one day call Shangri-La, home to 60,000 Dani people. Archbold published his report in a 1941 issue of National Geographic. The Dani had never had contact with the outside world. Yet with no exposure to 20th century implements, their ingenuity in crafting and wielding tools of stone, wood, and bone to create extensive gardens seen from the air was astonishing. When World War II ended, Alliance pioneers felt they could now begin writing an unfinished chapter in world missions by taking the good news to the remote Donny, who had never had the opportunity to hear of Jesus' love for them. However, reaching the Donny by land wasn't an option. Because their valley home was nearly impenetrable, surrounded by snow-capped mountain peaks and edged with thick jungles and swamps, Alliance missionaries determined the only way to reach them was by air. So began plans to buy a small amphibious plane that could land on the Baleem River that runs along the valley floor. A plane was purchased in 1950, but suffered damages the following year. Finally, in November 1953, a short Sealand amphibious aircraft was purchased in Belfast, Northern Ireland, where it was dedicated and named the Gospel Messenger. After years of planning and many steps of preparation, the historic day for entering the Baleem Valley arrived on April 20th, 1954. Al Lewis and Ed Ulrich piloted the plane carrying five passengers, including missionaries Einar Michelson and Lloyd Van Stone. Also aboard was a newly converted May couple Elisa, Ruth, and their baby, Dorcas, whose tribe lived west of the Baleem River. Their presence was hoped to communicate to the Dani that this wasn't a war party. Lloyd and his wife, Doris, along with their team members, had taken up the torch Joffrey laid down with his death during the war, a passion to reach the Dani with the gospel. Doris describes the anticipation of that first trip. Lowell Thomas said it was one of the most thrilling stories of modern missions in the 20th century. Not one single person had ever heard the name of Jesus. Before taking off, Einer said, I don't know how we'll be received, but there's no turning back now. Lloyd grinned and quoted an armed forces motto, We have to go in. We don't have to come back. The crew safely landed the plane on the river that day before setting up camp. They set up a little tiny green tent and there were two men against all of the valley out to tell men and women who Jesus was. On the second day, as the party was paddling their rubber boat across the river to higher ground, seven Donnie men approached them, led by the chief shouting loudly. And they got over there and they grabbed a hold of their arms and went, mm, mm, like this and pushed them too. Einer recognized this as the ceremony of welcome among other New Guinean tribes. 
He approached the chief, along with several others in the party, repeating the greeting before extending his hand. At that point, the Dani leader threw his arms around the missionary and broke into tears. The rest of the men lowered their spears. Tribal leaders then invited the newcomers to attend a special welcome feast of roasted pig and sweet potatoes. After their first encounters with the Dani, one of the Alliance pioneers later wrote, So, realizing the slow, hard work ahead in months, and even years to come, these missionary heroes of the cross know that only the first chapter of their story has been written. Good morning. I want to welcome you to Hope Church. We're so glad that you joined us today. And uh, we moved the chairs around a little bit today in order to fit more people in. And we were able to keep distance, though. Thank you to Pastor Jim for doing that and enjoy getting to see you guys this morning. We're so thankful for the reality that we are a part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Some of you may notice that on the sign when you came in. Some of you say, we're a part of what? What is that? It's a it's a gathering of missions-focused churches around the world now that we have the privilege of joining in what they're doing. And as I was watching that video, I, I couldn't help but think of some of the places that I've had the privilege of being, some of them really quite terrible places. Think of one in California on Skid Row, ministry to folks in Skid Row, but thinking about their children. And I can remember working with children whose parents are living in Skid Row or in some of the, the very difficult places there, parents addicted and those things. But in the midst of that time period, there were Christ followers that were there that those children were precious to. And the image to me is just like there's somebody just there holding a lamp of hope, a, a, a lifeline, a blessing for those those children. And as we just saw in that video, the name of Christ, Right. Think of the garbage dumps in Peru. Think of orphans in, in a place uh, in Estonia. And I just think of, I can just picture these places. But one of the reasons why we're so honored to be able to see this is that we get to be a part of that. For some of us in this room, we've had the privilege of sending our loved ones to the mission field. And it's such an encouraging thing to see that happen. In fact, today we have the privilege of welcoming back a part of our Hope Church family that were a part of our church family seven and a half years ago. And uh, we're a part of the early stages of Hope Church and then the Lord used to train and equip and now are serving in a, in a very difficult place. Um, but the privilege to do so is one where that image of lifting up the light of the gospel, right? I don't think I'll ever forget that statement in the video we just watched where there are people in the world that we live in that have never heard the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that 
reminds us the theme of our missions conference this next week is to focus in on the unfinished work. There's more work to be done. And this morning, I want to encourage you in a couple of ways. One of them is to absolutely pray. I hope that you're praying for those who are serving faithfully. We'll get to hear from several of them this week, and we hope you're going to join us. There's various events during this week, Wednesday night. There's going to be a great event in here and different opportunities. Check out our website at hopebrunswick.org to find out more information about what is happening this week. I hope you chisel this time out of your schedule to join us. Uh, another way that you can participate is that you can give. And one of the things I'm unashamed to say, and I think sometimes people are like, pastors can't talk about giving. I've had people tell me that before, but I actually really believe that the act of giving is something that is connected to our hearts. You remember what Jesus said? He said, where your treasure is, there your... Do you remember what he said? He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this, this morning, and as we focus in on what God's doing around the world, I can't help but think about the the dollars that are in my wallet, that I can invest those to be able to be a small contributor to what God's doing. So in that video, we see an airplane that was purchased by sacrificial giving. We see missionaries who've chosen to leave what's comfortable in their retirements and those kinds of things and to just step back and say, Lord, we're going to trust you. We want to obey your call And so in that process, I don't ever feel guilty about reminding us that we get to have the privilege to partner together in what God's doing around the world. Some of us say, I would never be able to, Uh, but I want to challenge you on that. Actually, you can. And for some of you, God is going to say go, and you're going to obey that call. For others of you, even as you hear our speaker this morning, as he shares their story, I just want you to, to hear with ears to be able to say, I can not just be from a distance clapping and say, hey, way to go, but that I can actually partner together for the sake of the gospel. And I want to encourage you, the Christian and Missionary Alliance is a movement of churches that is committed to what's called the Great Commission Fund. It's a, it's a fund that helps them to support and pay to help missionaries do their work around the world. Many of you have given sacrificially to the Great Commission Fund. On our website, you can uh, go there if you give online, or you can give um, on, our, on the little boxes in the back if you write a check. And if it says GCF, it goes into this wonderful fund that is stewarded with incredible diligence and excellence to help to contribute to and support missionaries serving around the world to advance the gospel. Our denomination more recently has made the decision, some of this is actually a part of what has happened with COVID, is the reality is people have had their live livelihoods disrupted and giving has been down. And so one of the things that they've asked the different international workers to do is to help to be involved in raising some of their own support. And for some of us, that's a, that's a bummer because we'd love for them not to have to worry about that. But uh, today, when we invite uh, our guest speaker up this morning, one of the things that we've chosen to do as a church family is to say, you can go online, you can go to the giving area, you can go to Great Commission, uh, GCF Giving, and then underneath that, you can um, write the name or you can click the name Brandon in, and um, that will be our privilege and way of knowing that we make sure that the, that it gets credited to their account. But uh, we, we want to be a sending church, right? We want to allow this to not be a distraction for them. And so uh, we're honored to be a part of that. So I just want to challenge you as we hear these words this morning, uh, as we're moved, um, we're, we want to encourage you that uh, that's not just their mission, right? 
We talk about missionaries, and it's not just their mission, but it's your and my mission as well. And so um, for those of you who are joining us online on the live stream, uh, we are not about to enter into technical difficulties, but we are actually going to be shutting down the live stream part of our service, the video of it, but we'll be moving into having audio only. And, and that is out of an abundance of caution, uh, recognizing the um, the recognition of the fact that by associating name with face and likeness that it could put them at risk. And so we're very sensitive to that. And that's a reminder. This is the way I'm going to pray uh, for Brandon before he comes up, is that this is the way we're going to pray, is that uh, in our prayer time this morning, elders and pastors, one of the elders said that for some people around the world that associating with Christ is not good for their health. <laughs> in other words, they they take great risk to associate with Christ, or they could lose their jobs, their livelihoods, even their lives. And so um, I want to ask you to join me as we dedicate this uh, missions conference to the Lord, and then we'll invite up our guest speaker. Lord, we love you, and Lord, I just thank you for that, that physical image of individuals who've pierced the darkness and who are holding the light of the gospel high. And when when we travel around the world, we don't travel around to share our American ideas or our flag or our ethnocentrism. But what we do when we travel around the world is we are devoted and committed to declaring the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our living hope to be able to declare, Lord, that you are the hope of the nations. And this morning as we've gathered together in this place, I just pray humbly that the you would speak to us. I, I ask that we would make space for that. As, as a mentor friend often has said to me, I don't believe that God's not speaking. I think the question is, are we willing to listen to him? And I know for some of us, as we walked into this room today, we're saying, oh Lord, don't, don't put a call in my life. Don't send me there. Don't push me in that direction, Lord. Don't. And I just pray that we would humbly change that prayer from don't to do. Lord, would you do a work among us? Lord, would you spur us on to love and good deeds and to understand what it means for us to be people who give and live lavishly in the light of the gospel that we've received? Lord, this morning, we accept the fact that this mission is not finished yet. You said that we will be your witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we believe partially the reason why you've yet to return to restore the earth and to continue your plan of redemption is because of the fact that you want everyone to hear the message of hope. And so I pray that today, as our guest speaker comes and speaks, that you would be glorified. I pray that we would be softened to hear what he has to say. And we just thank you for bringing his beautiful family to join us together. In Jesus' precious name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. I'd like to invite Brandon to come up now. Good morning. I hope you guys were okay this morning in the snow. My Wife and I drove in through the lake effect snow through Buffalo yesterday and uh, took us a little bit longer to get here. But my name is Brandon and my wife Stephanie and daughter Julia, son Silas, and newborn, well she's about three months now, Eden, are international workers in Southeast Asia and we are so glad to be here. 
Uh, like Sean said, we have to be a little bit careful about saying where we are and what we're doing because of the people that we work with. So if you could have a little bit of patience with me um, as I navigate that. My hope for this week, for this whole missions week, not just with me and my family, but also with the Schaefers, is that you would walk away with two things, or that the Lord would speak to you in two ways. The first being that you would feel a, uh, a tug in your heart for the unreached peoples of this earth. Um, and when I say unreached, I mean people around the world that have no access to the gospel and cannot hear it uh, unless somebody goes. And the second is that you would be really encouraged that God is working, that he didn't stop working in this crazy last year. In fact, we're seeing him work even more than we've seen him work in the past. So I want you to walk away from this week feeling encouraged that, that God is still on his mission. I want to open up with a story to paint a picture of the darkness that we experience in our small town. We live in a town of about maybe 5,000 people. She's nodding her head. Uh, and, and I want to just share this story with you so that you can get a sense of the culture and the people. Again, I'm not going to say their names or the location, but uh, it's, we live literally on the other side of the globe, about as far away as you could go. And I was joking with my wife, that's, they sent us there because they don't want us to be anywhere near this podium. <laughs> Get them as far away as you can. Uh, so I hope I don't do anything I shouldn't do. Uh, it, was a, it was a day like any other in our town. Uh, I'm usually out in our organic garden, or our, we have a, kind of like a homestead farm thing going on there, and I'll share more about that later, and we have some pictures later. Um, but I was out there hacking away. I'm all, about every two weeks, I've got to hack back the jungle from encroaching on all of our wonderful veggies and stuff that we're trying to introduce into our town. And so I was hacking away with my machete, vines and brush, when I heard the familiar sound, the all-too-familiar sound of a clankety old motorbike pull up. And it was my farmhand, Topan. And he yelled, Amir, Amir, that's what they call me in our town, Amir. It's an Arabic word that means uh, prince, which is kind of funny, because I'm not really much of a prince. But, <laughs> uh, and so he, Amir, Amir, what are you doing? Well, I said, I'm always, we have a real close relationship. Well, what does it look like I'm doing? I'm cleaning the garden, I'm working. Well, how come you're not out here helping me? And he said, don't you hear the music playing in the distance? And I said, yeah, what's going on? Uh, there were sounds of drums, and there's, in our country, they have these little brass gong things and xylophones and all these types of musical instruments. And I said, what's going on? He's like, there's a wedding going on. You can't be seen out here with your machete cutting and all sweaty and stuff, and everyone else in the town is at this wedding, trusting that he understands the cultural cues more than I do, since this is his home, and I'm often missing cues that I was supposed to be at this wedding. I ran inside and got showered, and I usually, it's quite hot where we live, it's about 90 degrees, and 
always 100% humidity every day of the year. So I usually am sweaty and reek of goat, because we also have a goat thing that I'll talk about later on. And I ran inside and said, Stephanie, kids, we all have to shower. We've got to be at this wedding. We totally missed the fact that we were invited. And in fact, we are probably the honored guests (laughs) at this wedding. So we all drop everything we're doing and we get showered. Topan is waiting out for us in the front. We have an area where guests sit. That's how the houses are structured there. And he smoked probably about 10 or 15 cigarettes as he's waiting. And so we all got ready and we went out to the front porch and we all hopped on our little moped. We have a little motorcycle. It's 125 cc's, if any of you understand. So it's a small little bike. Stephanie's five months pregnant. Julia hops on the back and Silas sits on the front and we motor down to our, not too far, maybe a half a mile down our road. And when we arrive... Like usual, we're the center of attention. We're the only Westerners living in our town. Just recently, we we have teammates now, so now there's two Western families in our town. So we stick out like a sore thumb. And I actually felt bad at one point because I felt like we were taking attention away from the bride and groom (laughs) because we were there. We went in, we went to this wedding, we greeted the family, and the music began to get faster and more... Uh, we'll say, spiritual, in a sense. You see, in front of, at, at, at ceremonies across our country, usually weddings and circumcision of boys, which happens around seven or eight years old, there's a traditional ceremony that happens. And so in front of the wedding tent, there is this large area, about twice the size of the stage, covered in sawdust, and that was the area to dance. And... People began to dance. And there's a, so there's a tradition in our area called kuda lumping. And I had never, I had only ever heard of this, but this is the first time I've actually experienced it. It means jumping horses. And what it is, is men, about eight or eight to ten men gather, and as the music picks up, and there's a there's usually a witch doctor or uh, some sort of spiritual man. Um, who's calling upon the spirits to come and possess these men as they dance. So here's my wife and I and our kids, just you know, not knowing what's happening. Next thing you know, these eight men are possessed, and as they are possessed by different spirits, they, get, they receive powers to be able to do things that normal men wouldn't be able to do, like eat glass and eat uh, red-hot coals, put them in their mouths, and walk on hot coals, and, and do all of these sort of scary things, um, it's scary, and lick uh, swords with their tongues, and things that <laughs> you don't expect humans to do, and they are able to do it. Just as it's picking up, the mosque calls out the noontime prayers, and everyone stops. Because we live in one of the largest Muslim countries in the world, this is one of their duties that they have to do. Now, if you know anything about uh, Islam, this doesn't really coincide with Islam, this practice, this spiritual practice. So everyone puts on their nice clean robes, their pechi, which is a hat that they wear, and they all hop on their motorbikes and go to the mosque to pray. They pray, and sometimes the imam 
uh, teaches them about what the Quran has to say from that, the passage that they heard that day. And everyone goes back to the kuda lumping and the music starts again and they get possessed with these spirits. And this ceremony lasts quite a long time. It can last late into the night, sometimes till two, three in the morning. And we can often hear it in our home, just beating the sound. And it really breaks your heart because the, the high, hyper-structured theology of Islam, where God is far, far away, unattainable. We cannot, you cannot have a relationship with him. He is so... It's, so, it's the complete opposite of what we hear here on every, every Sunday morning, that we can have a relationship with Christ. They have no idea. And because of that, they want to fill their lives with something tangible. So they turn to the spirit world. As you see and as you hear about the spiritual bl- blindness, the, the reality of the the darkness that shrouds our town and many parts of our island and, and, and most parts of our country that we serve in, where can they turn to fulfill the requirements of Islam? Where can they turn to have a relationship with God? Muslims are, are so desire to have a relationship with God, but they can't in Islam. Who is power, powerful enough to tame these spirits and to cast them out and to stop what's going on? Well, let's turn in our Bibles um, or on your phone to Isaiah. I'm old school. I like to have my Bible around. And I have the tendency to go off on tan- tangents. So some, maybe my wife will give me like a cue and I need to start. Wrapping up, or, or Sean, you can just feel. Like... <laughs> Sean never goes on tangents. <laughs> I have a feeling it's quite, no, it's quite different. I love these passages um, that God says through the prophet Isaiah. And the passages that we're going to be looking at, so it's Isaiah 42. The passages that we'll really be looking at are 6, 7, and 8, but I want to start with verse 5. And so I'm going to read these. I'm going to explain a little bit. But I'm not going to go real deep into God's word because Sean does an amazing job of that every Sunday morning with you. And I want to tell you more stories about what God is doing. But I love this, what, what is said in these verses. So in verse 5, this is what God the Lord says. The creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I love that picture of God's sovereignty. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. Now, in, in this, this passage, he's talking about the Messiah. I, the Lord, have called you, he's talking about the Messiah, you, in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from dungeon those who sit in darkness. Now we'll stop there and then we'll continue in a minute. I love hearing God's heart for the lost. In this case, he says the Gentiles. 
You know, the, we, we read throughout scripture, the Jews, and, and I see parallels in this with maybe with our American church. I'm not going to single you guys out as Hope Brunswick. But the Jews were happy to remain in God's blessing and for it to all be about them. But God's heart from Genesis to Revelation over and over is an expanding of this vision for the Jews to be a light to the nations around them and eventually the Messiah to come and be a light to the Gentiles with salvation. He wants all nations to be a part of his plan, of of his kingdom. And unfortunately, this is not showing up. We, we We sang a song earlier in... I can't remember. I, I meant to write it down, but I didn't have a pen on me. But the, it, I, I was thinking about this, the picture behind it. It had this picture of a sun. And I was thinking, reflecting on this, a light to the Gentiles, and just thinking about light. Who, who, who can tame these spirits and, and free these people from this darkness? Only the light which is the Messiah, and that's why we're there. That's why we're there to, to be agents of, and, and, and Christ claims to be the light in John, John eight twelve, He says, I am the light, and then he also says, you are the light in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. I love the picture of the progression of God through Isaiah prophesying that the Messiah will be a light to the Gentiles. The Messiah comes. He's, I am, a, I am the light. And he says, you are the light. So this mission of freeing the captives from prison, of, of opening the eyes that are blind, releasing those from the dungeon who sit in darkness, this is our mission, friends. This is what God is asking us to be a part of. We have the amazing privilege of being able to be a part of his mission. Like I said, I'm not going to go too in-depth. You could go really in-depth with these passages, but I'm not going to. I love verse 8. And I believe that verse 8, actually, I I originally gravitated towards 6 and 7. But verse 8, if you were to ask me, why am I a missionary? Why are you a missionary, Brandon? I would say, for this reason. God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. This is verse 8. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. Why, do you, why are you a missionary, Brandon? Why is your family taking the risk of living with these people? Why are you reaching out to these unreached people? Because as his, as his child, in, in, in this dynamic and deep relationship that we have the privilege as Christians to have with Jesus, I want to bring God more glory from the darkest corners of the earth. Yes, they're lost. Yes, they're in darkness. Yes, they are in dungeon. And, and I love that picture. They're blind and we have to do this. But I want, to bring, I want God to hear praise from these places. And that's why, if you ask me why, I'm a missionary. Maybe I don't always live that way. I hope that maybe when I'm 82, I can say that I live that way. God doesn't want to yield his glory to another. And there's a really famous book uh, that, about missions that many people 
have, may, maybe some of you have read it, but it's a book by, by John Piper. It's called Let the Nations Be Glad. And when he opens up his book in the first, if you haven't read it, it's a great book um, in relation to the supremacy of God and missions. And if you, you can't read that book and not have a heart for the unreached. But I love one of the first sentences. It might even be the first or second sentence. He says, missions exist because worship doesn't. And that's, this is that verse. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. The reason why we're doing missions is because God is not getting glory. He's not getting worship from the town that we live in. It's not showing up. It's not showing up in, in our little town. It's not showing up across the country that we serve in. There's 236 unreached people groups across our country. It's not showing up, I know for a fact, it's not showing up in Japan where the Schaefers serve. Swaths of the country are, are shrouded in darkness. And even where they are in and in, in, in around Tokyo, there are so many places in that city that haven't even begun to have the light. It's an unreached people group. Worship to God isn't showing up. And, and I believe... And I hope that I can, I, I keep asking the Lord, please use my lips to communicate this urgency to the people of Hope Brunswick. You guys are special to our family. We're, you're not just this random church that, not that they're not special either, but you're not this random church that we have to speak in. But we actually know some of you, although I can't recognize you behind your masks. Um... The worship isn't showing up and the urgency, friends, the urgency. But before I go into the urgency, I want to share this picture with you. I was in Hobby Lobby. My wife and I love Hobby Lobby. After being overseas for four years, you walk into Hobby Lobby and there's all these beautiful house decorations and we're like trying to buy little teeny ones that we can fit in our bags to, to bring over. And I, I saw this whole section and I knew that this movement had started before I left uh, of like Jesus and coffee in the morning. All, all I needed in the morning is Jesus and my coffee. And as I read those, my heart began, not criticizing any of you that have that. You're all going to hide them if I come over to your house now. My mother has one in her kitchen too. Not criticizing that sign, but it made, it broke my wife and I's heart when we read that sign because I began to think of the privilege that we have to be able to hang signs in our kitchen that say, all I need is Jesus and my coffee in the morning. And there's this picture of, uh, first, let me read Samuel. 2 Samuel 23, 4. This picture of who is the light and what is the, what is the light like? Samuel, and these are the last words of David. He describes God like this. He is the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning. Like the brightness after rain, which brings grass from the earth. And I think about my ideal situation, and back to this coffee and Jesus sign, is getting up in the morning, the sun rays are just shining in through the door, they're casting their gaze upon my Bible with my steaming cup of hot coffee. You guys all know this picture. And I, my heart was broken at the privilege that I have that I, I have a relationship with Christ and that there are three billion 
unreached peoples around the world. Three billion. Unreached meaning, unless someone goes, they have little to no chance of ever hearing about Christ. And they will die without knowing. Three billion people. And that's why the Alliance's theme this year is unfinished. Don't get stuck in a rut thinking that, you know, we see old videos and we think, wow, this is great. This is happening. There's still three billion unreached peoples. And in fact, I love that video. I love that. I've heard those stories and read those. That island now is 50% Muslim currently. Just in the last 15 to 20 years, there is this great move of the gospel. And now these migrants have moved in and it is, they are now a minority and Islam is taking over the island. The urgency that I'm talking about is, and, and this, this is with my, I, we're gonna, I'm going to talk about our ministry, but I really want, I, I, my prayer is that you will feel burdened for the world, not just where we serve, but the world, and even here in Brunswick. Three billion people have no chance or no idea about who Christ is. These, are the, these aren't all the lost people on earth. There are way more lost people. These are the three billion that are categorized as unreached, meaning there aren't, there's not missions being done among them. And if there is, it's so small that it's not looking good, the, the status of these places. And these, are like, like Pastor Sean said earlier, pastors aren't supposed to talk about Money, and this is how I feel about the statistics I'm about to read you. We're not supposed to say, missionaries aren't supposed to say these things. And I might get my hand slapped. But um, of, the, of the, all the missionaries in the world, only 3% are going to the 3 billion unreached people of the world. The other 97% are going to places in the world that there is still a need. I know, I'm not saying that they shouldn't be going, but they're going to places that are reached, meaning that there might be a church that's strong. There, there might be, there, they have more numbers to be able to be sustainable there. And this is general. This isn't just the alliance. This is Christianity worldwide. So only 3% are going to these 3 billion people. And then, when you look at the finances, it doesn't get much better. Christians all over the world give about 2% of their income to Christian causes. Of that 2%, only 7... I'll I'll give you numbers after this, because this made no sense to me. But some of you might resonate. Of that 2%, only 7% goes to missions. And then of that 7%, only one one one-hundredth of that goes to unreached peoples, the darkest of the dark places on this earth where the gospel is not being shared. So to put that in numbers, if the, my uncle's a math teacher, so I called him up and asked him to do this quickly. If you were to have $1,000, $70 would go to missions. And then of that $70, only seven cents would go to the three billion people that have no testimony for Christ. None at all. That is mind-boggling. Now, that might not be true of the Alliance. This is broad. 
the church, the status of the church in relation to world missions. I think we're doing a better job in the Alliance. But that was mind-boggling. And then you add the fact that there are almost 7,000 unreached people groups. Like, it's just crazy. The task is unfinished, friends. It's far from being over. It's far from being over. But God is working. God is working. And I want to share about how God's working through what he's doing uh, in our part of the world. Um, and I have a few pictures. How am I doing on time? Great. Great. Oh, I better back up then. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Does that make sense, though? The, the, the urgency. This is the, this is the call. And this is my hope for, for this week, is that as you are, are hearing stories from where we serve, and as soon as this is off and the audio is done and we're out of this, I, we can talk in depth about where we are and who we're working with, and we can use names and all that. We're not going to hide that from you. So it's your job to come up to us and... And ask, and we're happy to chat with you. Um, but also, this is the same story for, for the Schaefers in Japan. This is what they're dealing with there. Um, I want to honor them, because there are also the speakers here. Uh, so I have a few pictures about kind of what our life looks like. And just think about, as, as you see these people, these are the people that were at this Kuda Lumping story that are completely blinded from, from the light. They have, they have no idea. They have absolutely no idea. And the people that we work with are from, so we live in, our island, or our, our country has like 17,000 islands. We live on what, the furthest island to the east. And our people that we're ministering to are not the people that are native to our island, but the people that are coming from other islands to start a new life. And they're coming from pl- the darkest places in our country. Places that missionaries can't go. Or if they do go, it's so difficult and it's so hard. One of, one of these places is under f- uh, full Sharia law. And th- they're coming to our island. So we have this great, great opportunity to reach out to these people. And so here's what our lives look like. Let's see if I can... Got to put pictures of your kids up. Uh, this is this, and they're not seeing this on the audio, unfortunately. But this is our son Silas. Just this is our daily lives. There, there's point, but I had to show. I had to show you our kids first because they're so awesome. They are our uh, really our biggest partner. Our biggest. They are. They're missionaries. They're out there. So many relationships have been started in our family from our kids. If, if we didn't have them, it would be like, what are we even doing? They, they, they are, are really shining the light of Christ in our town. And they're always dirty and muddy, which creates a lot of stress on my wife and I. Uh, so we always have kids. Our lives, our, our ministry there is very relational. We are all about relationships, and that is our primary ministry. Um, but we also are creative access, and we're working with resistant peoples. So we have this balance of relationships and some projects that we do to give us a, a meaningful and impactful presence in our community. So that's not just like, what are these 
foreigners doing here? Just hanging out and just sitting around and talking and drinking coffee with us and, and sharing about Jesus. <laughs> so we have some projects that we do. And, um, oh, there's Julia in her school. I only have 10 pictures. I'm, I'm not one of those picture people that pull out the big, massive book. And uh, so don't worry. I see some of you are like, oh, no. <laughs> no. This is Julia. And she goes to a, just a local school uh, with the local kids. And uh, on Thursday, they get taught Islam in the school. But we, we told the teacher that every Thursday, we have a special meeting <laughs> that Julia can't go to school. So she doesn't, she doesn't go to that class. But she just... We're all about living in the community with our, with our people. And so Julia goes, and uh, her favorite thing is to eat this food that comes in wrapped up in a piece of paper. It's usually fried egg and rice or some uh, fried chicken. So here's the first um, ministry that I want to highlight. Uh, this is my wife down in the center. She's really the brains of the operation and the beauty. If it weren't for her, uh, yeah, it wouldn't be going on. And so she, uh, my wife is very passionate about um, working with women and particularly with fitness and nutrition. There's a lot of malnutrition, malnourishment in our, in our town and people just generally don't lead very healthy lives um, there. So my wife, uh, when, when we moved to our town, we took about six months and did nothing but observe the people and ask questions. Um, after the six months, we identified a few things that we, we said, okay, here's some areas that we can meet the needs of the people and, and help them. And so my wife started a, and, and now with our teammate, Ashley, have started a uh, ministry to the ladies in our community with Zumba. Uh, and they have the most fun, and they have, they have become, all the women in our town, they're up to, I just recently heard about between 30 and 40 women now, um, and that's during COVID, which is great, but they don't really, they don't really, they're not really into the social distancing thing there. <laughs> you can't social distance in a communal culture. It's just, we're all going to get it together kind of mentality. Um, but, so these are, these are the faces, and as you see these faces, these, all these women, are from different parts of the country. They're not native to our island. They're from different parts of the country that are unreached. And they're all from different types of pe people groups. Th this isn't just one people group. There are about, uh, I would say maybe four different people groups represented here. Four different unreached people groups. One, one really encouraging story about this is that my wife in, in, in her being with the women and meeting with them individually on days that they're not dancing and having fun and getting healthy. Um, the, this group of ladies have band together and kind of picked up this sense of helping the community from Steph. And they have become to act like the light of Jesus in our town, even though they're not following Jesus. They have, they have been gathering together. And if there is uh, a disaster. There was a flood that recently happened, landslides, and it killed 300 people. And we responded, and they all gathered together and said, we got to help these people, and made food and clothes. And it's really cool to see these ladies are actually ministering to the community in that way. And it reflects on 
the light that my wife is, is being in this area. That's been really encouraging to see. And I think there's one more. That's them, some of them in, in their uh, uniforms that Steph has, and you can see our town's name there. <laughs> uh, and so that's, that's one of the areas, health and nutrition. Actually, we have uh, stunting, one of the highest rates of stunting in the world in our town, which means that the children are smaller than they should be um, for male, because of malnutrition. Food usually consists of, of rice and chicken broth or something like that, which isn't very nutritious, or rice and spinach. So, oh, there's my wife visiting the treasurer of the Zumba group. She's <laughs> an amazing lady. So we have a couple other programs to address uh, some of the health issues and nutrition issues in our town. We have a goat program. So we... Uh, imported a new breed of goat as we were meeting with farmers. And I, if you get to know me long enough, we're really passionate about um, agriculture and farming. And so we imported a, a, a new variety of, of goat that's bigger and better that all the people really wanted, but they just didn't have the means to get it. And they, could, they weren't able to take the risk like we are able to take risk with our money a little bit. And so we brought this new breed over and and we're teaching the locals on how to breed this goat, the benefits of this goat, doing some goat milk projects um, and, and things like that to be like, when, when we brought these goats over, people from all over the town came and wanted to like sign up to be the first one to buy one of the kids that are born. And so we've kind of been known as the the Westerners that have the white goats. And people always make jokes like, the goats look like you. <laughs> and so these are, this is where a lot of my time goes, is, is why I, I usually reek of goat, is we have about 25 of them. Um, and so that's what we do. The other part of what we do is in agriculture. We have a community garden, and this is our, actually our yard. Uh, and to the left there, you can't see it, there is a, a garden. And so another area that we wanted to reach out to our people was, was um, through gardening and organic farming and some, introducing some new and more nutritious greens and vegetables, more than just the, the, the they have like a swamp spinach that they eat, which is delicious, but it's not very nutritious. So one of the things that we brought over was a plant called moringa. Moringa is one of the uh, most nutritious vegetables on earth. And it's very interesting, the craftiness of Satan. Before Moringa was even brought to these people, he had already instilled this folk belief that Moringa is evil and that it, uh, they use it to like wash dead bodies and to exercise spirits out of people. So there's this most nutritious vegetable that can solve so many health issues to our people. And Satan has instilled this idea that it's bad, it's evil. It's related to the spirit realm. We went, we went planted it anyways, because we, we totally believe that that's what God was calling us to do. And when COVID hit, 
Uh, the, the woman pictured there, these, this family is at our house all day long, every day. They're our, our closest friends and the ones that help us most with all of our projects. She's from the people group that believes this. Well, when COVID came and um, people were, were getting really nervous and scared about their health, she came and snuck some of this because she had heard me going on and on and on about how healthy this is. You've got to eat this. It's so good. This is not from, this is not evil. This is from God. He made this miracle. They call it the miracle plant because it's so healthy and it can, it can help your family. So she started cooking with it. And then she started telling all the other neighbors about how great, how delicious it was and how Amir tells us that it's really, really healthy. So now I'm really scared, like, oh man, I hope that's not poisonous or something, and I didn't know. But people started coming from all over and, and started picking until our trees were all bare. We have about 200 trees planted in this next thing. Unfortunately, I lost my phone on the way over, so I don't have many pictures because uh, I lost it on the airplane. But she started picking it, and I thought that that was such a, a cool thing that we were starting to get frustrated with this project. We were starting to get discouraged. No one was wanting to be involved in this uh, because they thought it was evil and that it was, it was from the spirit realm. And they, they decided that, no, we got to care about our health and go forward with this. And here's the last picture I'll show you. Um, this is my truck that we that people, some of you, helped us purchase. Uh, it's a, a lot of off-roading on our island, so that was really helpful. This man and his wife that were in the picture before were in, in dire shape when we got there as far as finances went. Um, rather than giving them money, I believe in, in development, holistic development, and, and, and not just giving people a handout, but actually giving them work and training, and investing in them as people. And so he started to work for me. He gets the feed for the goats. She started to work. She helps in our garden. She helps with weeding. And they were able to save enough money to purchase three of the goats that were born in our program. And now, this was a while back, now they have this unmanageable herd. They have tons of them. And they're starting to sell them, and they're starting to sell to other people. And they, you can just see the smiles on their faces. Now, we do holistic development because we believe in the whole person changing. We believe that I can tell the gospel to this family, but their economic hardship and their hungry stomachs are going to shroud out the good news. At the same time, there's no point in feeding them and helping them if I'm not going to share the good news. And so we were able to do that with both of this. Pray for these people. Ingrain their faces into your mind. We've been able to share about Jesus with these people. We've been able to pray for them. We've been able to be with them in really difficult times in death. Her sister died from COVID a couple of weeks before we left. And Stephanie was able to minister with her. And, and as they were burying um, her sister, she, they actually left their, they have other family and other friends that are, that we felt like were way closer than us. They have grandparents, but they chose to leave their kids with us because they felt like they would be safe. And that spoke volumes to me because you spent, we spend so many, so much time planting seeds and trying to build up trust. 
pray for these people. Um, one of the things, and that's the last, that's the end of it, the pictures. One of my hearts, um, as, we, as we spend time with you and as we get to know you as a church, is to, to, to engage with you. Um, I think of this quote that John Piper also said. He says, go, send, or disobey. Those are your three options. And I love that. It sounds harsh, um, but it's actually a beautiful thing because there are some, those of us that are going, and you can also go, but there's the sending is, is on this equal playing field with the people that go. When we have a success like a family's lives being changed or, or God willing, we are on our knees asking them to turn their lives to Christ and to become believers. When we have a success like that, and you're partnering with us in prayer, that's your success. It's not just ours. Without your prayers, without your support, without your, we covet your prayers most, but without your financial support, those, are, those successes aren't going to happen. God will do his mission in the end, but he wants us to join him. And... Um, and so that's our hearts for you. We want you to feel, when I left four years ago, I said in front of this church, we want to link arms with you because we're in this together as a team. Four years went by and we often didn't have internet and we are not good at communicating. We'll just be honest with that. But our prayer is that we will link arms with this church and that our successes, God's successes, not ours, it's not about what we're doing, it's about what God's doing. Will be your successes. And that when, when you hear of, of a man that looks like that coming to know Christ, that you guys will have a grand party here because it was your investment and your prayer. That's my heart. So, how am I doing on time? I meant to start a timer and I never even pressed the button. It's done? Okay. <laughs> Let me pray. And uh, please come out and chat with us. Please spend time with us throughout this week. I know it's awkward with COVID and it's hard, but um, please come and talk with us and we want to connect with you. Let me pray. Father, oh, you are like the light in the, in the morning, like the light after a rain shower. But there are so many around the world that don't know the light that have no idea who you are. And so this morning, Father, I pray that you would tug at our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would speak to those of us all, all of us, me included, to reignite our burden, our passion, our pain for the lost people around the world, the unreached peoples. Would Hope Brunswick bring hope to the ends of the earth? And would they be a part of our story in the way that you are leading? We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.